Welcome to the Yoga Focus Podcast. My name is Laura Gellner, and I am a yoga therapist and occupational therapist based in New Jersey. I created the Yoga Focus Podcast as a way to talk about the tools and techniques of yoga and to see how we can use those techniques to create a greater sense of focus and clarity within our life. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of the Yoga Focus podcast. This week, the yoga board is some more information that I pulled out of the breathing book. And this is specifically a list of qualities and characteristics that we want to cultivate in our free natural breath, meaning the spaces of time when we're not practicing pranayama, when we're just driving our car or standing in line at the grocery store or doing our daily work things, we want to have these qualities of breath that just make our breathing patterns more effective. And in the book, Donna explains that there is no 100% right way to breathe, that there's patterns that are more effective and patterns that are less effective. And we're, of course, trying to steer ourselves toward those patterns that are more effective, but there's no one-size-fits-all situation where I can say, if you breathe like this, it's always going to be great. And one of the characteristics, I'll jump down to the bottom there, is flexibility. So you don't want to get stuck in just one breath pattern, you want your breath to be dynamic depending on what you're doing, what the demands are of that task, uh, the breath is going to change depending on if it's high exertion, low exertion, depending on what your emotional experience is, there's a huge amount of variety. Um, so our background noise today is courtesy of the swan. Our tiny house is in a community by a lake and the swan is friends with our neighbor and likes to sit in our yard. So that's the honking you hear in the background. It's too nice out today. I can't close the windows. It's like the first really nice spring day and I'm hoping we get a little bit of bird noise in the background because uh, other than the swan, <laughs> some nice bird noise because it's like a gorgeous day out. So back to breathing. I want to open up with this quote that I have. This is the manuscript for the book that I've been working on, Yoga Therapy at the Wall. And in the chapter on breathing, I put this quote in that says, breath with awareness is prana, but breath without awareness is just air. This difference in being mindful versus not being mindful of our breath. And even in the spaces of the day when we're not necessarily trying to control or manipulate our breath, when we're just letting the body do its natural breathing, as it always does, um, those are the places where we can try to cultivate all of these different um, skills and characteristics. There are a total of eight things that Donna listed in the breathing book. The first of which is this quality of oscillation, of a natural rhythmic movement with the breath, but specifically allowing there to be 
this ebb and flow as the breath comes and goes that you're not holding yourself so rigid that the breath is kind of working within these very confined areas that especially when you are just standing and being relaxed this is a great one to practice in the grocery store so you can allow this really subtle movement and I'll exaggerate if you're watching the video format of this that when you're inhaling there's like this ripple up and when you're exhaling there's this ripple down if you are somewhere where you can move your hands and not have people stare at you then one of the exercises that I like to do is just letting the hands move up and down as if they were riding on your breath but really soft really fluid you can take that movement as small or as large as you like especially if you're out in public it might be as simple as just relaxing your hands slightly and then ever so slightly bending your fingers and letting that movement focus your attention onto the breath. The idea is that the free breath is not necessarily when we're focusing or concentrating on it um, and trying to change it, but more of building up these skills that when you're not thinking about your breath, you've already practiced these good qualities and characteristics of just a free natural breath that will already be very innate to your breath pattern. So that oscillation of the body, following that constant movement of the breath, watching that when you're in your yoga posture, that you are not forcing yourself into that shape with so much effort that you're fighting the natural rising and falling. The imagery that Donna uses in the book is a piece of driftwood, and I've been coming back to that over and over in class this week, that when you're in what looks like a static version of a pose, you might be the only one who can feel that oscillation, but you can allow there to be just enough softness that the body has that slight movement as you inhale and exhale. And it makes it such a nice experience in that pose. And it's, it's also a way to make sure that you're not putting in so much effort that you're crossing that threshold into what's going to be straining or counterproductive in terms of what kind of energy you're putting into that pose. Okay, so let's jump down to the next one, which is breathing from the diaphragm. And this is something that you'll hear a lot in yoga, but I think it kind of lends itself to a deeper exploration of the breath, which I'm planning on doing at some point in the future, just talking about what the primary muscles of respiration are and what the secondary muscles of respiration are. We get into trouble when we ask our secondary respiratory muscles, uh, chest, sternocleidomastoid, upper traps, to do a primary function of just daily breathing when those secondary muscles are really supposed to be like reserve breathing when you're sprinting or you're doing something that has a very high cardiovascular requirement, you're trying to find extra volume in the lungs. But it's also something that happens when the fight or flight response is activated. When we're in a stress response, we will bring the breath 
up really high um, and get kind of gaspy. And I know for sure if I'm having a day that was a little bit more taxing, I will feel that tension in my neck and my shoulders because I was probably chest breathing. <laughs> Um, and I'll catch myself doing that and try to switch back to the diaphragm for sure. The other part where this can sometimes become a problem is when we actively restrict the center of the body. This could come in the form of tight clothing. I know um, a lot of people for work will, will wear a belt that might be really tight around the center of the body. You're not going to be able to change shape effectively with your inhale and your exhale if your belt is really tight. For women, if you're wearing clothing that's super tight and restrictive, that's going to impact the way that you breathe. A lot of women will tend to hold in their stomach so that they appear to be thinner. And a lot of times we're told, hold in your stomach, it will protect your back. Um, but it's really more likely to put you into a stress response and make you feel anxious than it is to get rid of back pain. Um, the same applies to men though. Uh, for men, it's really a, a status thing in the fitness world if you have a six pack or an eight pack of these really nice washboard abs. So there's also that tendency of like tight, pulled in, always drawn back instead of allowing there to be a natural inhale and exhale. And of course we know when you look at a muscle, for a muscle to be healthy, it needs to be strong and it needs to have good mobility. If a muscle is always stuck in one position and we hold it there, it's not going to be a strong muscle. We need that muscle to lengthen and contract, to change shape in order to build up strength. Of course, you have um, isometrics and that's a whole other thing, but if you're only doing isometrics, there's really a, a very strong limitation to how much strength you can build up with that. So that concentric and eccentric part of the movement has to be worked in there. If we're always holding, holding, holding in that same position, it's not really going to foster strength in the long term. It's also going to train us to have these, what Donna refers to as breath holding patterns. Not necessarily saying that you're holding your breath like you're stopping your breath, which sometimes people do, but more breath holding in terms of restricting some aspect of that normal excursion of the rib cage and the diaphragm, that full natural movement that we need. We're creating some sort of resistance somewhere in the body. For a lot of us, it's in the stomach. We're not letting the abdominal area expand. So thinking about letting the diaphragm be your primary muscle of respiration. It is the muscle that's right up in the rib cage. It divides the upper and lower thoracic cavity. And the diaphragm has this really unique movement that causes a change in pressure inside the rib cage. So when it pulls down, it creates a vacuum effect that pulls the air down into your lungs. And then when it relaxes and domes up, it pushes the air out. That's going to interact with the side and front and back 
of what's happening in your rib cage, so the changing of shape in your rib cage, is also going to affect the amount of leverage that your diaphragm will get when you're trying to create that shape of the inhale and the exhale. So I'll definitely make sure that I do a whole nother episode talking about some of the specifics about respiratory anatomy and the muscles. So that's all I'm gonna say about that one for today. <laughs> all right, the next one goes along with this idea of breathing from the diaphragm, and that's that you want to have an internal origin of your breath. Very similar to that idea of not letting your secondary respiratory muscles, your upper muscles, pull the breath in for you. Like you're grabbing that breath and forcefully pulling it toward you. It's an experience of letting your inhale arise naturally and internally. So it'll feel like it's coming from the center of the body right around where the diaphragm muscle is if that's the part of the body that's causing your breath, your inhale specifically, to start. But watching that process, because I know when I observe my breath and I'm in a challenging situation, I definitely tend to grab for my inhale and I put a little bit too much force behind it and I will start to get that neck and shoulder tightness from those breathing exercises. And I think it's interesting if in your yoga practice you have been stretching your shoulders and your neck and your upper traps and maybe getting body work, maybe getting massages. Um, I love to roll those muscles out with a ball. But if the tension habitually comes back, you know there's something else going on that you're not addressing. There's a root cause that we're not getting at. And a lot of times it's the way that we're breathing because that area is so involved. We don't think of it as being an area that is involved in our breath, but there's definitely a strong ripple effect if we have more functional or more dysfunctional breathing patterns. All right, so using the diaphragm, having that internal origin to the breath, making sure that the external muscles aren't grabbing or trying to pull that inhale in with force. The next element on this list is the multi-directional quality to the breath or the 360 degree breath. A lot of times when we start doing breath work, we do front body awareness, the anterior surface, the belly, the chest. A lot of times I love to use this hand placement of one hand right at the bottom of the ribs, one hand on the chest, maybe both hands on the belly or upper and lower belly. So there's all these different hand placements that we can use very easily on the front of the body in that self-inquiry practice. Just closing the eyes, letting the hands rest there, and then using that very, very sensitive surface of the hands and the fingertips to take in information about how quickly the breath is moving, how much movement you might be getting or not getting. 
and then seeing if you can very naturally release anything that is restricting or impeding the breath so that the breath can move into that space naturally without us having to put force behind it. It should be a natural feeling of expansion. That hand placement is really helpful for front body awareness in the changing of shape that happens as we're breathing, as the lungs are inflating and deflating because of the movement of the rib cage and the diaphragm. When we start talking about the side body and the back body, it gets a little bit trickier and I think it's trickier because we don't have as much visual input. We can't do the hand placement quite as easily. We just tend to talk about the front experience of the breath a lot more than the back body or the side body, depending on who you're practicing with. I feel like I've been talking about breath in the side body for like months now in my class. So the next part of that full multi-dimensional expression of your breath is the rib cage. There's a couple different things that I like to do for the hand placement for the rib cage. One is just, I call it the horseshoe, which is four fingers in front, thumb in back, and you just cup the hand around the side of the rib cage, but go low enough that your shoulders aren't tightening up. If you try to go real high, a lot of times the shoulder blades will shrug up. So you're thinking lower part of the rib cage, hands are horseshoed on either side. That gives you a lot of awareness and feedback about the shape change that's happening in the body side to side. How wide you're getting as you inhale, how narrow you're getting as you exhale. Watching the change of shape. And then you can go through that same practice again of can I naturally release some restriction there and allow the breath to freely go into that space rather than pushing it or forcing it. Okay, then the next hand position that I like to use is just a little bit trickier. You take your thumbs and you're going to loop them underneath the front of your armpit. I'm getting a little, a little tight on space. But I find that this is a way to experience what's happening in the chest and the upper part of the rib cage because there are lungs back here without that sense of having to put lots of tension into the shoulders. So the thumb goes right into the armpit. The fingers are facing each other across the chest and the elbows are wide. Coming back to your questions of just inquiring what is happening with my breath before you try to change anything. And then start to ask, can I naturally open up any areas to allow the breath to go in on its own? 
and then dropping the hands down. Okay, the last one is a hand in front and a hand behind. I like to use the back of my hand right along the lower part of my rib cage. Front hand is on the notch where the two sides of the rib cage start to come up toward the sternum. I like to go right over that space because that notch, that little triangle there that will get narrower and wider, it's going to give you a lot of information about what's happening in your rib cage as you're breathing, how much expanding and contracting those ribs are doing. Hand in front, hand behind, and then watch how that shape changes in between your hands. Just watch first without changing. And then start to ask, can I open up any space where there might be restriction so that the breath can naturally move into that space? Now, while you're doing any of these different breath explorations, you might notice that if you tend to overbreathe, like I do, I think this is a bad habit that I've picked up over many years of doing yoga practice and having this idea that bigger breath is always better, which is not true. We can overbreathe and put too much effort into our inhale where every time I force that inhale, I feel that tension up into my neck and my shoulders. So every single time I am going through some sort of breath work, whether it's kind of free breath awareness or whether I'm doing some sort of pranayama, I'm always trying to watch the level of effort that I'm putting into that pattern and the awareness of what's happening in the upper part of the body, especially if I'm doing a still practice or a quiet practice and my goal is down regulation, then I want my secondary breathing muscles to be completely relaxed and not involved in the movement. If I start to feel tension coming into those spaces, then I know I have to pull back a little bit of effort. The next round of breath, try to find that space where there's just enough expansion but it's not forced and it's not creating unnecessary tension. That is a constant adjustment that I find myself going through, making sure that I'm not putting too much effort into the breath where it's counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. Okay, so the multi-directional breath, making sure that we are breathing in all directions. One of the exercises that I like to do for this is I take a yoga strap around the back of the rib cage, around the sides to the front, and then I just crisscross the ends so I have opposite ends of that strap in each hand. And I hold that just snug enough that it holds the shape of my rib cage. I create some slack as I inhale and expand, and then I tug on the ends slightly as I exhale and my rib cage gets narrower. By holding onto the ends of the strap, I can keep track of that shape change in my body. And I'll usually just gradually see if I can find more movement in my rib cage, but make sure I don't cross that threshold to 
over inhaling and causing tension or too much upward effort. If you want a visual of that, I have a video on my Instagram page, just a quick little uh, 30 second demonstration of how I put the strap around. And it's great when you take that and you can do that while you're in some specific yoga poses. These past couple weeks we've done that in some variations of chair and some squats and uh, goddess pose. We did it in warrior two. Anything where you can keep your hands free to hold on to that strap. And then it's a bonus if you close your eyes. So that stronger sense of internal awareness and self-inquiry when the eyes are closed, especially when you're doing breath work. A little bit more awareness. Then we'll jump down to the next one and I kind of stuck a few together because I was running out of room on the board. But number five is making sure that the breath is calm and regular. If you think about the opposite of that, if the breath was very choppy, strained and irregular, how would that make you feel if that was the breath pattern you had right now? Probably not so great. If you turn and go in the opposite direction and try to cultivate those qualities of calm and regular, how would those qualities make you feel? So you can see that connection between our emotional experience or the level of arousal in the nervous system and the connection that that has to the pattern or the qualities of our breath. The more regular the breath is, the easier it is for the mind to focus and hold regular attention on a task. When you have that breath that's super irregular, probably having some experience of the monkey mind where you're jumping from topic to topic, you might be anxious, there's a lot going on. If you can switch it in the direction of creating a more regular breath pattern, you'll probably be able to hone in and focus the mind with more clarity than previously. Okay, so the next one on here, I actually ran out of room on the board so I didn't write it on, but the breath ratio of inhale for two and exhale for three. If you've done breathing exercises in a ratio, it's a very short ratio. Usually it's like a count of eight or a count of 10 or maybe 12 to lengthen the breath, but Again, this is the idea of free breathing. These are the skills that we're trying to cultivate for a totally natural resting breath. Just our breath that brings us through all the events of the day when our mind is thinking about what we're doing rather than how we're breathing. This breath pattern, sometimes when we're in Shavasana and we've let go of all the effort behind the breath, We've let go of our control of the breath. So it's coming back to that natural process of the body just breathing the way that it wants to. Sometimes I'll call that a baby's breath because it's so natural and unrestricted. 
but it usually does have a very short count. It could be that inhale for two, exhale for three. So the next time that you are relaxed and maybe in Shavasana at the end of your yoga class or maybe you're just driving and listening to music or sitting on the couch with your dog, just check and see what your breath ratio is. So there's another component here. It's that inhale for two, exhale for three. The exhale is just slightly longer and then a pause, meaning the space after the exhale, we just let ourselves settle there. Inhale, exhale, little pause. Let the inhale come up naturally. When we come back to that idea that I was talking about of over-breathing or forcing your breath too much, we tend to jump right into our inhale and try to grab it and pull it in. If you allow yourself a slight natural pause at the end of your exhale, become very vigilant of your internal experience in that space. What does it feel like when your body starts to ask you, okay, I'm ready to inhale. If you've done longer retentions, you know that sometimes your body will yell at you and tell you it really wants to inhale, but this is a much, much subtler experience of that because it's such a slight pause. So that inhale for two, exhale for three, little pause, let the body naturally initiate the inhale from that internal space at the bottom of the diaphragm. We tend to get really good at rushing because we're trying to fit so many things into our day and we're trying to multitask. And of course the saying goes, whatever we practice, we get better at. But the problem is that we're not really good at discerning when we apply that very good skill of rushing. It will start to show in our breath when we're rushing right from exhale to inhale and it becomes this very short choppy pattern of breath because just like everything else we're trying to rush through our breath cycle. If you can find that just slight moment to pause after your exhale, you're connecting to that little bit of stillness that exists within our breath. And when we have comfort in being able to be still and being able to not rush, that practicing that characteristic is something that will have such a good impact on the rest of our lives. It can serve as our little reminder that we don't want to rush everything. So that very nice breath ratio, the two, three, pause, natural inhale. Okay, so the next one I already kind of touched on, which is the flexibility of the breath. We don't want to, that's the swan, we don't want to get stuck in just one breath. And my experience of this was several months ago, I was doing a class with my students that was a cooling practice, and I suggested to them not to use the ujjayi breath. So if you're familiar with the ujjayi or the ocean sounding breath, we restrict the back of the throat slightly so that as the air comes in and goes out, 
it creates a sound and I love the sound of the ujjayi breath. I've used it for so many years in my yoga practice and I talk about the sound of ujjayi being an anchor that we can use for our attention. If while you're doing your yoga practice you have a mind that likes to wander, if we give it that sensory input of the sound of our breath to focus on and just always watch that very consistent regular pattern of inhale and exhale, it will help you to stay more focused and attentive in your practice. The flip side of this is if you've been practicing for many, many years and you've gotten really good at ujjayi breath to the point where as soon as you roll out your mat, your body is already ujjayiing, that is not really an ideal situation because you've crossed that threshold from that breath being really mindful to being something automatic and habitual. And that's when you can come back to that quote that the breath when we have awareness is prana, but the breath when it's habitual is just air. And of course when we're on our yoga mat that's our place to practice mindfulness. That's our place to work on those skills that we're going to use during the rest of our life. So we definitely don't want things to become habitual, like you're driving to work and you don't remember how you got there. We want to use our practice as a way to break those habits. So definitely if you notice that you have created some kind of a habit or a pattern with your breath like that, give yourself that challenge of doing a different breath. I know my students were like blown away by how hard it was for them to not do ujjayi breath sometimes that they would stop for a little while and then they would notice a couple minutes later, oh, I started doing ujjayi breath again. What? How did that happen? They would stop, go back to a quiet, smooth breath. Sure enough, two minutes later, the ujjayi breath was back. So that was such an interesting experience and in noticing how strong some of those habits are, things that we didn't really realize were actually habits. So go ahead and try that if you are a chronic ujjayer. That leaves us space to find more flexibility in the breath and to really watch how the breath pattern changes and especially as maybe you're going down into some of those cooling aspects of your practice, your wind down and into Shavasana, letting go of ujjayi breath for at least that portion so that it's much more of a, a cooling effect. The ujjayi has an element of friction, of heating to it. Um, so the next one, and the last one on this list, is allowing the breath to be effortless, to find a sense of ease with the breath. This is the element that is going to help to combat that habit of over-breathing or forcing the breath, pushing the breath. Just asking yourself, how can I find an effortless quality in the way that I'm breathing right now? And I love that in the context of what we're doing in our yoga practice because the breath is so, so variable from one pose to another or as we go through different orientations to gravity, like if you're standing up or if you're in an inversion, the breath is so different in those two different kinds of poses. So watching and seeing every single time you go into that pose, finding the breath that is 
effortless and has a sense of ease to it is always going to be a little bit different. And that brings us to that never-ending complexity and interest in the nuance of what's happening in our yoga practice. I feel like some people say that they get bored in yoga because it doesn't move fast enough, especially if you're doing a gentler practice, but I really think if you know what to look for, you know what to observe, there is just a never-ending amount of things to be interested in and to watch unfold during your practice. Boredom should never be a factor in that. Alright, so effortless ease in your breath. Now, just to switch to a different topic, um, similar but different. If you've ever seen Dr. Weil, he's the gentleman with like the very gray beard. He's written a ton of books about natural wellness and diet and very, very interesting holistic based doctor. He has these four things that he tries to cultivate in the breath. So rather than having to always do these really complex pranayamas, asking yourself, how you can make your breath deeper, slower, quieter, and more regular. And if you watch, he has a lot of talks on YouTube, if you watch some of his talks, he describes how if your breath is very shallow, fast, loud, and irregular, what kind of a state you're probably in when you're experiencing that very fast, irregular, noisy breath. You're probably mad. You're probably very upset. So if we want to use our breath as this tool to help us to find that space of being calm and focused, these are the characteristics that we want to foster in our breathing pattern. Deeper, slower, quieter, and more regular. And I find that interesting because we were just having that discussion about the ujjayi breath and the ujjayi can sometimes get a little Darth Vader-y, um, really, really loud. And I think there's a, a range in there, but to play around with quiet breathing and notice how that makes you feel. If it's a matter of needing the ujjayi sound to create an anchor for your mind so that you don't get distracted, I would say switch it for something else to anchor you. It might be a smell. You could use an essential oil. Um, it could be the sound of the music. It could be just reorienting to internal body sensations. So you just have to switch and find a different anchor for the duration of that practice. But if you feel challenged in that experience, that's great because that challenge will make you mindful of that whole process that's unfolding. So that covers all of our qualities and characteristics of free breathing. And you can try to really think about these things just as you go about your normal day. Pick a couple that you personally feel like you need to work on the most. I'm a huge fan of post-it notes. I have them all over the place. So if there's something that I want to work on, I'll write a couple things on a post-it. Like, is my breath arising organically from an internal origin? Or it might just be as simple as 
putting a little star on a piece of paper and every time you come across that paper in your day you think oh how am I breathing right now just a little reminder to check in because we all need those reminders to just notice what the experience is and it might pull you out of that experience of doing something habitually and unmindfully to switching over and snapping you out of that so that you have that more mindful experience. So I hope you have enjoyed our conversation about free breathing and in the upcoming weeks we're going to have some more information about breathing techniques and some things about sensory input and how that regulates our nervous system. So I hope you will join me for those. for joining me in this episode of the Yoga Focus podcast. If you'd like to leave me a comment or a question, you can go over to my YouTube channel at Laura G Yoga and leave a comment under the video format of the podcast. Or you can go onto my Instagram, which is also at Laura G Yoga and leave me a question or send me a direct message on there. If you want to ask a question for a future podcast topic, go over to the Anchor app on your phone and you'll have an option on there to send me a voice message and you might be featured in a future episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019, which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So. This manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. Um, you can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy and my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.